thing. This is going to be very anticlimactic. We've been talking about some big things in 1 Corinthians, spiritual gifts, love, the resurrection, all these big, important topics. And Paul closes with a bunch of random thoughts. And because I said we were going to go all the way through the book, we're going to go all the way through the book. So, I don't, we're just going to, we're just going to, we'll pick and choose as we go through these 24 verses. If there's anything here that resonates with you, then uh, that would be great. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, then, I, then they will accompany me. So uh, the church in Jerusalem is almost exclusively Jewish christian they're ethnically they're jews and uh, the church in the broader world is almost exclusively gentile christians most of the gentiles left jerusalem in acts 8 when there was a great persecution that saul slash paul kind of was a part of all of the gentiles fled those who the jews stayed and there's a famine in jerusalem and so the christians there are dying of starvation and so one of the things paul does is he gets all of these Gentile congregations to uh, raise money to send to Jerusalem so those guys can buy some food. That's a collection that he's talking about. These guys have already committed to participating. And what Paul is saying is here's just some logistics so that when I come, we can get this money. You can see, He's saying y'all can pick who goes. That's just an integrity thing. You send a couple of guys and it probably weighed a ton because it was coins and not nobody. they're not writing a check. So it's, it's heavy, and for integrity's sake, you guys can carry it. For us, I would say there are some things about giving in here for us on the first day of every week. So giving is regular. It's not when you feel like it. It's not when you happen to have a little extra money. It's not even once at the end of the year. It's regular for them. It was every Sunday. Each one of you, so that everybody participates, it's not just for the rich, everybody should be giving. I would say for us, if you have a job, then you should be giving. If you're unemployed, then don't. I don't think that I, I would, to me, even off of unemployment benefits, I'd say hold on to that. You don't need to, you're, in a, you're not in a position at that point, to, to me, to really be giving. I would say hold on to that. Where do you give? Again, this is me. I would say you give to places, and to people that are contributing to what God is doing in your local community and in the world. To me, you should be giving to your home church. If this is your home church, you should give here. If it's not, you should give wherever it is. If you don't believe your home church is contributing to what God is doing in your community or around the world, you might want to consider finding another home church. Set aside a sum of money. So that's, there's this intentional aspect. It's not, oh, I happen to have a few bucks in my pocket. I've decided this is what I'm going to give. I think that helps on two fronts. One, it keeps us, it makes giving intentional on our part. We're not just giving what we have left over. Remember, this is the first day of the week. It also protects us from giving based on guilt. Sally Struthers comes on, and she's crying, and you, you've already decided this is what I'm going to do. And so they're not... We don't, it's, there's not these emotional strings that people are trying to pull because you've already, you've prayed. If you're 
uh, married, you've already talked to your spouse, you've already said this is what we're going to do. And so then it, it takes that whole emotional element, which some of us can be played that way. There's kind of that guilt thing can happen. It keeps us free from all of that. Uh, set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So there's not a flat rate. Uh, God doesn't expect someone who makes a million dollars to give as much money as someone makes a hundred dollars. If y'all been here before, you know I'm not. I don't subscribe to tithing. To me, it's an Old Testament concept. I can eat bacon and I don't have to tithe. Those two things to me are tied. They're together. They're Old Testament law, and we're not bound by the Old Testament law. We're led by the Spirit. You just need to ask the Lord what you need to give and where you need to give it, and I trust you and him to figure that out. There may be some of you who aren't giving enough, and there might be some of you who are giving too much. I would say you need to reevaluate it as your income changes. If your income changes every week, then you need to ask God every week, this is what you've given me for the week, what do I do with it? If your income changes every month, then you ask every month. If it changes annually, then you change annually. I'm looking in the back. John Zerker is a real estate agent. His income probably does this, so for him, Probably a little different scenario than for Alex who works, you know, at AT&T. It's going to be different. He gets a standard paycheck. His is different because of uh, commissions and the nature of his business. And so for them, it's going to look different. But for both of them, it's this is what I have. God, what do you want me to do with it? And then you just respond accordingly. We don't want to fall into the ditch of fear. Well, if I give, then I'm not going to have enough to take care of my family or guilt. Feeling like every cause out there needs us to write a check that's being driven you don't want to be driven by fear and you don't want to be driven by guilt you want to be led by the spirit and you can trust him to do that giving should not be a source of anxiety for anyone it should not be a source of stress i was thinking about this and i do feel this for a couple of you in the room um we've uh we talk all the time about kind of doing your deal and that god has these good works that he's created in advance for everyone to do and we each need to figure out god what are those things for us? What are the things that you want us to do? And I feel like there are a handful of you in the room, part of your deal, it's not the full thing, but part of it is you'll, you'll fund ministries. That's part of what God is going to, that's part of the good works that he's created for you to do, is that you're going to fund these kingdom endeavors, which is wonderful. And I think as a part of that, you're going to be rich. And you need to be okay being rich rich you don't need to feel guilty about that i'm, I'm telling you for you it's there I, I really do believe there's a handful of you in here who are going to be rich and it's fine and you need you don't it's nothing to be ashamed of you don't need to turn if they want to pay you the money take it serious i would rather this is me and i think it's the lord i'd rather you be rich than somebody else because you're going to do right with it and i think that's what god would say to you like he's he's blessing you, he's prospering you. You need to absolutely take that with an open hand. You need to ask, there's responsibility there. What do I need to be doing with what you're giving me? But you don't need to shy away from that at all. That's not less than anything else. That's not some second-class gift or any of those things. It's God is blessing you, and it's fine for you to be rich. One of the biggest kind of uh, mis or lies when it comes to giving is that giving is a function of income. It's not. It's a function of generosity. And you're generous whether you're rich or you're poor. The little old lady gives two copper coins that are worth less than a penny. These guys who are rich are throwing in out of their surplus, and Jesus says she gave more because she gave out of her lack. And you see that when you see the tax returns 
released. The guys that are making millions of dollars a year who are giving away hardly anything. It's not a function of income, it's generosity. And you can begin to sow those seeds in your heart even now as training ground for when God gives you more. But I, the, I don't know anything beyond that, but as I was praying this morning, I, I did feel pretty strongly that there would be, so, and I don't know who, so you can't ask me. Who, who's going to be rich, and I don't know what rich means. I just felt like the Lord said there would be people who would be rich, and part of your thing would be to fund ministries. I'm not talking about writing a big check to Stonebridge. I'm saying fund ministries uh, in your community and around the world. Verse 5, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him, send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. That's Paul's itinerary. I'm not sure that that necessarily does anything for us. Uh, Here's just a map if it helps orient you on what's going on. So Paul's in Ephesus when he writes the letter. You can see where Corinth is. Quickest ways to take a boat. But if you do it in the winter, you die. So you walk around. You have to go through the, the land route. And you can see some churches along the way. Philippi, that's who Philippians is written to. Thessalonica, that's who Thessalonians is written to. So Paul's planning on doing that again. I don't know that that necessarily impacts us living here in Marietta in 2012 very much. The piece about Timothy, um, there are divisions in the church. There's a large number of people in the church that don't like Paul. Timothy is Paul's guy, and so he's saying, treat him well. Don't treat him, because he's associated with me, don't treat him poorly. Don't treat him poorly just because he's associated with me. Treat him well. I did think there was one a uh, verse in there that was interesting, verse 9. Because a great door for effective work has been has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Again, this idea of this kind of both and. There's been this great door of effective work opened for me. Paul, uh, three different times in his letters, talks about God opening a door, and that's the implication here. It's that God has opened a door for effective ministry for him. And at the same time, he says, I'm being opposed by many. We tend to see those as either or type things. Either God has opened this door for me and it's smooth sailing and there are birds chirping and there's rainbows and all of that, or there's opposition and God is not in this at all. And we see that opposition as a closed door that says I need to go move in a different direction. Paul holds on to both of those things at the same time. He was very clear on his calling, Acts 9.15, You're going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He reaffirms in Galatians 2.9. He knew this is my territory. Gentile territory, Ephesus, that is Gentile territory. And if you look in Acts 19, he's in Ephesus and he's doing his thing. He's preaching the gospel. There's fruit. There's also massive opposition. There's a huge city-wide riot because of what... Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 15 32 he says he fought the wild beasts at Ephesus that's not animals those are his opponents but he doesn't see that as God saying get out of town or leave or, he, he that's just that's part of it I'm doing what God has called me to do and I'm facing opposition so the application point for us is having that same sense of conviction over what God has called us to do again it's that whole idea of knowing wh- what are you here for 
What are these good works that God has created for you to do? What do you need to be giving yourself to right now? If you can't think one or five or ten or twenty years down the road, that's fine. I can't either. What, what is it for right now? For right now, what are the things that you need to be giving yourself to? What are the things that God is calling you to in the immediate, in the next six weeks, in the next three months, in the next six months, that you need to be centering and shaping your life around in terms of ministry activity? He's calling us all to participate in what he's doing here in Cobb County. What's your role in that? And if you know that, then the opposition doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you face opposition because you're not allowing that to determine which direction you go. We've said before, sometimes we walk past open doors and sometimes we kick down closed doors. And the only way you're going to know what to do is if you know what to do because the Lord has put something in your heart, not because you're licking your finger and trying to figure out what way the wind is blowing or because you're trying to read circumstantial signs. That's almost impossible. Signs are only obvious to us or can only be interpreted in retrospect. It's turning around and looking and saying, oh, I get it now. But when you're in the middle of it, how do you know? Again, for Paul, if you read some of the stuff he says about him, it sounds like he's whining like a baby. I've been thrown in jail and I've been beaten and I've been whipped and I've been stoned and I've been hungry and I've been cold and the Gentiles are trying to get me and the Jews are trying to get me and I've been shipwrecked and all of these things that have happened to him. But he doesn't see any of those things as saying you're on the wrong track. You're moving in the wrong direction. You're on the wrong road. There's one time in Acts where Paul does get redirected and he just says the spirit prevented me from going into this particular direction. That's what he says. He doesn't say the circum. He doesn't say opposition caused me to say God's not in this. So I'm going to move. I'm going to turn left instead of right. And so, again, for us, the, the takeaway is, have you settled in your heart? Do you know in your heart these are the things I need to be giving myself to in terms of ministry right now? Don't think ministry church work. I'm talking about what is God doing in our community? How do you fit into that? And are you sure? And if you are, then the opposition doesn't matter. Again, some of us have this picture, and it's true. God does level mountains. He fills in valleys. He makes crooked paths straight. That is true, 100%. But it's not always. And so there, there are times where our obedience will encounter opposition, and it doesn't mean anything other than keep obeying. It doesn't mean pull up. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to go with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. I thought this was interesting as well. There are divisions in the church, and they're Paul-Apollos divisions. Neither of those two men is contributing to the divisions in the church. Apollos is a great speaker, and everyone in the church likes him better than they like Paul. That's just kind of the way. Not everyone. Most of the people in the church like him better than they like Paul. They're lifting Apollos up, one of the reasons being because he's such a great speaker. They're pushing Paul down. One of the reasons is because he's probably not the most polished speaker in the world. And it says something that Paul is willing to send Apollos. He says he urges him to go. There's no ego involved in that for Paul. In Philippians 2.3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And that's, this is a picture of what that looks like. He's detached his ego from what's going on in this church. Paul started the church. They're his people. And he's willing to send Apollos, even though he knows that's going to cause his influence to wane even more. And it's going to cause him to lift Apollos up even more. His ego is going to get trampled in the process. 
And he's still willing to do it because he doesn't want to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And Apollos is the same way. He resists. It's flattering when people ask you to come. When they ask you to come speak, when they ask you to come help with whatever problems are going on in their church. When people want you around, that's flattering. And it says, he resists. He says, it's not, no, it's not good for me to go now, maybe in the future. Neither one of those guys is doing anything out of selfish ambition. What that made me think of for us, are there some core, I don't know what to call them, anchors, values, beliefs, principles that are, that are buried in your heart? I'm not talking about ministry. That's kind of what we just talked about. What are the things in terms of fulfilling the Great Commission, how God's at work in our community, how do you fit into that? So that's over here. What I'm talking about is really life. Um, are there things that you're shaping your life around? If you're single, it's your life. If you're married, it's y'all's life. Are there two or three? You can't have more than that. Two or three core rhythms, anchors, values, principles that you would say, this is it. Like for Paul... One of them is, I'm not, I don't do anything that pushes myself to the front. If you read through his letters, he's constantly saying, I'm the least, I'm the last, I'm at the back of the line, I'm not going to do anything out of selfish ambition, I'm not going to do, I'm not, I've got these rights, I'm not taking any of these rights. I'm pushing y'all to the front and I'm going to recede to the back. That was a core part of who Paul is it's a kingdom value yes and for paul it was that was one of the ones that was imprinted on his heart probably because when he was a pharisee he was so proud of everything that he did and so now he's moved all the way he's 180 i'm i'm not taking credit for any of this and so he lived that way and you see that here in this exchange and so i'm wondering for you like for if some of you have children and we've got you know four or five weeks whatever it is before school starts back and that's a different rhythm for many of us do you know this school year what are the two or three things that you would say we're going to shape our family life around these values around the these are the anchors that we're going to sink and when stuff comes at us when opportunities come when needs come when invitations come if a crisis comes it's all going to be filtered through this grid of these two or three core things some of you school doesn't necessarily change anything but it's just easy to talk about as we move into the fall in the next four to six weeks you're going to hear stuff from me here's some opportunities to lead here's some things you can do how do you filter those things whether you should say yes or no what are the things that are like is it is it hospitality we feel like that's what we've got to give ourselves to we're going to open our home to other folks is it rest not watching tv rest but we're going to invest in one another now i need or maybe it's just for you personally you need to find a rhythm that said that where rest is incorporated into that and so that's one of these anchor it might you might not be resting in five years but this this is the time you need to now and you feel from the lord this is something i've got to incorporate into my life i've got to shape my life around it right now and so i'm going to evaluate what comes at me opportunities needs and invitations through the grid of this is a time for me to be fallow in some senses i don't know how to give you any more than that other than to say my encouragement over the next few weeks if you're single you and the lord figure it out if you're part of a if you're married you and your spouse take some time what do we need to be and i wouldn't don't go be like for me, I can't think beyond the end of the year, beyond 2012. You might be better than 
me at that, and maybe you can think for the entire school year. But I would try to keep it that compressed. What are the things that you need or y'all need to shape your life around? What are the kingdom values that you would feel like God is really impressing upon you or upon your family? It could be forgiveness, and that's the thing. And you're going to, that's what you're going to be practicing as a family, which if you have multiple children, you'll have all kinds of opportunities to, to do that. And you're going to be intentional. That's the, you can't do all the values at once. And maybe that's the value that you feel like we need to begin to wrap this into our interact. You get what I'm saying. So move on. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. We actually talked about this last week, so I'm going to move past it. This whole idea. There's two things. First is identity. It's standing firmly on who we are in Christ. Standing firmly upon the gospel. And then from that position, we move out to love other people. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. I don't know how to say that. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus Fortunatus, and that's a great name if anybody's pregnant, by the way, and Achaia and somebody else arrived. When they have, when they have supplied what was lacking from you, they have supplied what was lacking from you. This is a great verse. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. We'll come back to that idea of refreshing going on here again. These are guys who are loyal to Paul, and he's just saying, treat them well. You need to respect these guys. Don't trash them just because they're loyal to me. What I would say for us, this idea of refreshing, um, we all need friends like that. We talk about life-giving relationships, and we all need some people who we can go to who refresh us. And so if I were to ask you, give me two or three people who you can connect with who you feel full after you've been with them it's like you are thirsty and they're cold water to you we all need two or three of those folks and if you don't have them you need to begin to ask the lord for those people you will need them you already need them it could be those people are currently in your life you just need to shift the dynamics of your friendship a little bit it might be that you tend to talk about uh, superficial things or just kind of what's going on, just catching up on news or life type stuff, but you're not getting to heart things. And it could be that they're, they're cold water for you. You just haven't figured out how to draw that from them. It could be that you actually need to make some connections that you don't currently have. And the flip of that is we also want to be that for other people. We want to be deep water. And so that when people come to us who are thirsty, there's actually there's something to drink. And it's not us. Jesus says in John seven thirty seven and 38, if we believe in him, we'll have streams of living water, the Holy Spirit flowing from us. And, and we want that. We want when people are with us, we want them to leave full and refreshed and renewed. Uh, there are times when we, we all need, there are times when, when we need, when we're broken, when we're hurting, all of those types of things. But we also want to be the kind of people who when others come to, there's actually something here that they can draw from. And so, again, my encouragement to you is to begin to think that way. If I were to ask you to list your two or three best friends, and I called them and said, is, is Kay, is she refreshing to you? Would they say, hopefully they would say, yes, she is, absolutely. Does that mean you're always quoting Bible verses and putting flowers in their mailbox and that type? That's fine. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying when you're with them, you're, you're connected to Jesus so that when you're with them, they kind of can vicariously connect to Jesus through you because he's the source. He's water. He's the well. And if, and if you stay connected, 
then when they're connected to you, they're connected to him as well. Whether you do anything spiritual or not, they'll leave full and they'll leave refreshed. And we want to be those kinds of people for the folks, particularly some of you, the places that you work. It's a desert and you're it. You are the only well in that place. And so you need to constantly be connected to him because people are going to come and look for refreshment from you. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Here's one thing in the Bible I can unequivocally say we will never do. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you. In Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for these guys. I thank you for their uh, commitment to you. I thank you for their commitment to one another. And God, my prayer is that we would more and more grow into the people individually and corporately that you've called and created us to be. God, I pray that as a body, we would be refreshing to our community. God, that thirsty people who stumble in here on a Sunday morning, God, I pray they would always find fresh water. And it's, it's not us, it's you. Lord, that you would be so welcome, you would feel so at home here among us, that when thirsty people come, they could just drink it in. Whether they ever come back, that's not the thing. It's just refreshment along the way. God, I do want to pray for those uh, in, this, in this room who, have, who, are, who said, I want, I want freedom today. God, would they walk in that this week? Would you protect them from the enemy this week? God, I pray for those in this room who, you're, who, who are going to be rich. And God, I pray that they would have generous hearts, generous lifestyles. And God, I, I do pray blessings, financial blessings on the people in this church. Not so any of us can hoard at all, but so that we can fund the things that you're doing in our church, in our community. And God, I pray that you would sink some things deep in our hearts. I pray for husbands and wives. To, take, to make some time in the next couple of weeks to say, all right, what's the thing? What are the things that we're focusing on for this next stretch? Lord, I pray for men and women to pull off, take some time. What is it, God? What do you want me to be centering my life around? And God, I pray as you begin to reveal those things to us that we truly would drive stakes in the ground, that that would become the filter, the grid through which we evaluate all of the stuff that we don't know that you do that's going to be coming at us in the coming weeks and months. God, we want to be led by your spirit and not driven by anything. So God, bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you guys next week.